doctors with your host Fiona and normally Danny. Um, please note for information um, only is our podcast and if you do need any medical advice please go to a registered medical professional. Unfortunately Danny couldn't be here today but I'm here to talk with Sarah and how are you Sarah? I'm very well thank you and how are you Fiona? I'm good thank you very much. I found it quite weird how we actually live in the same town. I'm not going to say what town we live in (laughs) but out of the whole social media I was like wow you live in the same town as me which is really good. Um, So can you tell our listeners a bit more about yourself please Sarah and your type of journey with the EGS and what you're doing now? Yes, certainly. So um, I'm Sarah Bairton and um, I have um, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome and POTS Syndrome. Um, It's been a a long journey to get diagnosed. Um, When I was little, I had lots of aches and pains and uh, just just often I'd take quite a lot of time off school just because of of pain. And um, I was told that um, I was growing pains, that I um, was probably a a bit shy and a bit worried and it was all just brushed off. And eventually, um, it was only about six years ago now, I got diagnosed with POTS after having previously been diagnosed with ME. And um, then it all started to fall into place. And my POTS consultants um, said that he thought I might have Ehlers-Danlos, so I went and got tested and I I did have that as well. So um, yeah, it sort of explains so much. When I read the guides around symptoms for for Ehlers-Danlos, I thought I can literally take every single one of these. and. it was a huge relief actually just to be able to because it all everything seemed to be so unrelated to each other um pains in my jaw um stomach issues headaches everything seemed to be so unrelated and then seeing that it all actually correlates with one another was such a relief yeah I mean I think that's the thing isn't it when you get that diagnosis it's such a relief because you feel like you're not imagining it when you've had so much of a multi-systemic nature of the condition and then when somebody tells you you've got it, it's like, finally, someone speaks what I'm speaking or what my body is speaking, you know? <laughs> exactly. um, so I think it is very important, you know, like when you do get your diagnosis, because it gives you that, you know, verification as such, you know, for many years of unexplained symptom, you know, or symptomatic behaviour. Yeah, absolutely. I remember having a conversation with a friend saying, do, do you have all these aches and pains? Because often it feels like I've run a marathon. My legs are hurting so badly. And I thought, started to question whether maybe everyone has that. And it was just the fact that I couldn't cope with it that was the problem. And she said, no, I've, I don't have any of that. And that, that also helped me to realise that maybe there was something going on. It wasn't just me not being able to cope with everyday life. And again, that's, that's a relief to know that it's not all, all just just not coping no exactly and I think it gives you that verification that something is not right you know when other people are not having those symptoms so going into what you do do you want to explain to our listeners what you're currently doing to help other people with like EGS or other chronic you know illnesses please yes certainly so um, I run an organization called Excel Against the Odds and it's for people with chronic illnesses to help them in the workplace So um, I have a couple of strands to this. The first strand is um, helping business owners with chronic illnesses um, to be able to run their business in a way that works with their health. So I have a free Facebook group, Entrepreneurs Against the Odds, um, and I also do mentoring and run workshops. And then the other part of it is helping people um, in organisations to um, be able to work um, with chronic illness. So I help organisations to better support employees um, so ch- looking at the culture of an organisation mm. and seeing what can be done to better support employees, what sorts of reasonable adjustments can be made. 
and um, and also I can also offer uh, mentoring to people suffering um, with chronic illnesses uh, and managers as well who want to be able to better manage employees with chronic illness. I think you're right. I think what you're hitting on is you're hitting on a subject which is really important in chronic illness community and people with EDS. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, you know, we, you've spoken with Danny and, you know, she's had lost jobs as well from her condition. And there's a lot of people that won't talk about it within type of businesses. It seems very much taboo, especially in smaller businesses. I mean, I'm quite lucky with the company I work for. I have occupational health referrals. Um, I have major support. They understand the condition, which is brilliant, you know, for me. But there are companies that still need that help out there. You know, and I think a lot of people, if you actually look after your staff and you understand their condition, you can get more out of them. And actually, they can be pivotal in the business point, too, you know. Absolutely. I've, I've worked for organisations who look after staff with chronic illnesses. And I've also worked for organisations who don't don't provide that support. And yeah. the difference is so stark. Um, I, I did lose a job because of that, um, because of the lack of support. But another job I was able to keep because I had that support there. And it creates a sense of loyalty as well. If you know that somebody is going to look after you and and bear in mind your conditions and listen to you and ask the right questions, then you're going to be loyal to that company because you know that, that you might not get that elsewhere. Um, and I think it, it's really key that organisations do better support employees with chronic illness. There are so many people now of working age living with illnesses. Um, um, and I think it's growing as well, especially with long COVID now. And yeah, um, totally. that support needs to be in place. I mean, it definitely needs to be in place. And I think, you know, the thing is, is it's the adaptability to your condition as well. That's number one. Yes. I think we all know about like in the UK, because we're both in the UK, like the Equality Act of 2010, you know, in, in regards to adjustments in your workplace and being allowed to go to appointments. And this is, you know, some type of things that, you know, individuals in the community don't know about, as in the rules and the regulations of a UK law, which can actually help them within their type of workplace, you know, environment. Um, and like you say, there are some companies out there who really have no understanding when it comes to disability and really don't know how to treat those with disability or be, you know, quite flexible with their condition. I mean, the thing is, the way I see it is, if you don't stress them out and you work with them rather than against them, you will get more out of them and they will be under less stress with their disability in a workplace. Um, you don't actually see a lot of talk about it within, you know, charity aspect in, you know, what do people do when they want to work, you know, with these type of chronic conditions, who do they turn to? You know, what are the rules and regulations? It's not listed in particular areas as such for people to really get it as in a form of accessibility. Yeah, I think I think there is a lack of support out there. I know that when I was um, first diagnosed, trying to find support was impossible um, and I felt quite lonely and lost with that. Um, so I think definitely more needs to be offered. Um, I think also organisations um, a lot of people don't feel comfortable to disclose their conditions to their organisation because they're not sure how it's going to be accepted. Um, there's definitely a fear that if you disclose that you have a condition, that that might lead to you losing your job or not getting promotion or not being taken seriously. And that is something that needs to be addressed. I think it's got to come from the top of an organisation that the culture needs to change yeah. um, and that they need to be able to inform employees who've just been diagnosed with conditions how they're going to support them going forwards so that people don't feel afraid to talk and to to 
to disclose a condition that they have. And I think I think that's that's a, a huge thing at the moment is that most most organizations have people working in there who have conditions and haven't disclosed them. Yeah, and that is actually really important. I think you pick on a topic there as in another taboo. I think people fear talking about their type of disabilities or medical conditions in a new job or their own job because they don't want the risk of losing their job or they don't want the risk of people judging them differently. I mean, I can only talk about my own personal experience, but I can say like, for example, when I've been open about it in my particular job or things have changed, for example, like I had jaw tumours, okay, that were destroying my jaw, you know, in the, pan in the middle of the pandemic and I was a key worker as well. And the first thing occupational health did is right no you need to get yourself sorted my work but like no you know you can't physically talk you know down one side so we need to get you and your medical issues sorted first before you know you're going to be effective as in a work function so i was quite lucky in that sense but there are some people especially like with maybe long-term chronic illnesses or diseases i.e cancer and things like this you know depending again on their employer their sickness or their protocols because it depends as well how long sickness you have you know as in for yes. each guideline per company yeah and it does vary so much from company to company what they are willing to pay and how much they're going to support you and i think trying to understand um you do have to really understand what your company policy is mm. but i think a lot of the time people can work if they're given the right support and often it doesn't need to cost the company a lot of money but it's about having conversations about what somebody needs so i've got i um one example a couple of examples that i have is that um one of the organizations i work for um they changed the lighting in the office for me so um i was getting a migraine every time i went into the office um and so they gave everybody individual desk lights and so every time I went into the office they turn off the overhead lights and use the desk lights and it was a it didn't cost them much money but for me it was a huge change and uh, yeah. also showed that I was appreciated as a as an employee they actually valued me and that was so important. I mean it is important as well because such a small change can be a big thing for someone with a chronic illness or disease in an office environment you know <laughs> like um, I had um, hip and knee surgery and they gave me a rising desk you know, and when I was starting to have issues, they would allow me to work from home. So there's that type of, like you say, the flexibility to change to meet the needs of that employee can go a great way. And I just want to put it out there to people, like for example, I've just had a um, promotion at work, you know, and yeah. from that point, I just wanted to say to people that even with a disability, you know, you can work with flexibility in, you know in specific companies they are out there you know from home you can still get promotions with a disability if you have the right help and support network within that workspace you know yeah and I think it's also about being kind to yourself as well and not exactly. expecting to be able to work as you might have once worked so yeah. understanding your limits um, making sure you are getting enough rest and taking care of yourself um and listening to your body as well. And I think if you can do that, then it is possible to have a successful career um, with a lot of conditions. Obviously, if you're not well enough, then that's a different situation. But if you are well enough, it's working in a way that aligns with your health needs is, is really key and making sure that you get that support that you have from your family and from your employers and colleagues as well. Yeah, and you know, it is important for a work-life balance for sure and a health balance as well. Your health is your priority for sure. 
Um, and I do think, you know, people adapt their work. You know, some people may not work for companies. Some people may do self-employed work. If that means becoming an artist, selling their things on Etsy, if they have a disability, you know, you, there are many different forms of work that you can go into to adjust to meet your needs as in your health, as in your balance in life, you know, and I think that's also another important thing to make. There are different types of opportunities, aren't there? There are, and there's actually a lot of people with chronic illnesses who are self-employed. Um, and I think it's a dis disproportionate amount of people with chronic illnesses who are self-employed because of the flexibility. You don't need to be sitting at a desk five days a week, nine to five. You can work whatever hours you want, um, wherever you want. And also like even wearing clothes that, that feel more comfortable. So you don't have to wear business attire. You can wear tracksuit track bottoms or pyjamas and work from bed if necessary. So that definitely is a solution. Um, and a lot of people do do that. Uh, it's just really important to make sure that you are looking after yourself because I think there's a tendency when you run your own business to try and do everything yourself. Mm. And there's so much noise out there about things that you should be doing when you're running a business and it can become overwhelming. Uh, and that's what I found. I, I started my first business um, and I made my health a lot worse because I set myself tight deadlines. Um, I was doing everything myself. I was trying to be a perfectionist and I realised that I couldn't, keep doing that without I, I just couldn't maintain that my health was yeah, going to suffer you, you can't, um, I actually yeah. ended up um, having to go to A&E with um, a frozen shoulder and uh, acute bursitis in my other shoulder I just couldn't get dressed I thought Ouch. I dislocated it because and it's just because I was overdoing it and that's when yeah. I promised myself that I had to find a new way of working that didn't affect my health and that's when I started doing what I'm doing with the entrepreneurs because I recognize that there is a a lot of people do want to run a business when they've got a chronic illness, but there needs to be support out there. And I looked and I looked and I couldn't find anybody offering support to people with chronic illness. So uh, that's why I started the group in the first place. Um, so I think it really helps also to know that other people know what you're going through and understand it. Yes, I think you have that correlation to relate to them. So other yeah. entre entrepreneurs who have a chronic illness, chronic disease, you're going through that yourself, so you can relate to that. So they're more likely going to trust you as well because they understand how you understand how difficult a chronic illness journey is, you know? Yeah, very much so. And I think nobody else can understand the unique challenges of running a business with a chronic illness. It is, it is different to any other challenge that you might have. Um, and the key really is about being kind to yourself and listening to your body and asking for help. Um, a lot a lot of the time you can outsource work um, to other people if you're finding it too challenging and really concentrating on the tasks that help you reach your goals. Um, but a lot of it has to also come from yourself, understanding that you have a chronic illness and your needs need to be met. So listening to your body when it's telling you that you need to have a rest, then doing that. Um, if you're getting aches and pains, then doing some gentle stretching or movement just to sort of ease that. Um, if you're getting a migraine, then stepping away from the computer. It's around listening to your body and making sure that your your business isn't ruling your life, that yes. you actually <laughs> are in charge of it. And, and, and it, I think a lot of times with, with, with businesses, we, we put tight deadlines on ourselves. Nobody else cares. We might say, oh, we want to launch a project in such a such a date but that's our date nobody else matters it doesn't matter to anybody else it's just about being understanding to ourselves and and being compassionate yeah I think we also have to be compassionate to our bodies and to ourselves because if we don't look after our own health to begin with then it's a domino effect on everything else you know oh, yeah. because that is the initial point that keeps you going 
And if you don't look after yourself, treat it well, right nutrition, right diet, everything like that. But they have to speak to medical professionals in regards to that. You know, it, it will always have a domino effect that's in your work and everything like that. So if you've got like joint flare, you know, you're having a bad day, but you don't take the day off and you're doing a 12 hour shift, then it's not going to help the process, you know. Exactly. I think if people are having a really bad day and are having a flare and they push themselves to work, then the rest of the week is going to be a write off. Whereas actually, if they stop and take that break that they need, then yeah. maybe the next day they might be able to, to work properly and, and keep going. It's, it's, it's around sort of really listening and reacting to what your body's trying to tell you. So, so I, th- I think that is really key. So what's the feedback you're getting from all these people when it comes to chronic illness and being entrepreneurs? What are the main feedbacks that you're getting right now? As in for improvement? I think the first thing is... Changes? Sorry? So what's like the main... Um, feedback that you're getting right now from like entrepreneurs um in regards to you know like what needs to be improved or what they're learning I think I think for most people it's around sort of managing um expectations their own expectations and their client expectations uh, and about again whether to disclose they've got a condition or not and I think it's it's easy it's easy um to feel that you have to do everything a client asks when a client asks Um, and reply immediately so if somebody is requesting something at nine o'clock at night a lot of entrepreneurs will happily respond at that time and then they'll get resentful because their customers are bothering at night when they should be resting and trying to understand that actually you're in charge of your business if you don't want to work evenings you don't have to work evenings is really key Mm -hmm. and that's what I work a lot with the business owners that I, I work with is to understand that you're in charge of your business if you tell people that you're working these hours and these days then people respect that um, if you don't respond to an email until 10 o'clock next morning, then they're probably more likely to respond to email you during working hours going forward. Whereas if you respond to them that evening, then they're more likely to, to start emailing in the evenings as well. So you can set your own boundaries and people will respect that. It's just about communicating them. So uh, I recommend things like having an out of office, office on your email saying, here are my working working days, working hours, and I will respond to you when I'm next in the office. And just making sure that people are aware that you do have boundaries and as I say people do respect that yeah I mean the thing is I think it's boundaries and also communication as well and it's been open and honest and transparent um you know like I have um out of offices on my work and my personal you know because I do a lot in the background as you know so I'm like juggling quite a lot of different things right now from research to my own work and other items and then messages about the podcast so I always do that because like you say it's important that you're effectively communicating, you're being open and transparent and the boundaries are there. Um, because I think that's a problem within our community when it comes to the transparency and being open and honest about our conditions in our workplace and things like out of offices and that. It's a crucial thing, but it's also a basic thing, you know? And I think the only way that businesses can improve or entre- entrepreneurs can improve is being open and honest with themselves and going, you know what, I do have these conditions. You know, I do have these boundaries, but, you know, I'm actually doing a lot with it, with the right balance for my health, but I'm also working and doing something good as well. Very much so. And I think energy is our most uh, important commodity when we have a chronic illness, because a lot of us have energy limiting conditions. So we need to make sure that we're spending that energy really wisely um, and protecting it wherever we can as well so having those boundaries making those communications can really help with that as well 
And I think also, as you say, it's about understanding how much we can achieve. The fact is, when you've got chronic illness, everything is a lot harder. But mm. we achieve so much on a daily, weekly, yeah. monthly basis, even even if it doesn't feel like it. And it's also worth worth making the point that it's worth un really appreciating that as well. So I suggest to people at the end of the day or end of the week or end of the month, write down a list of things that they have achieved and look back at how mm. far they've come. Because often we are only looking to the future, seeing how much we've got to do. And we very rarely look and see, actually, I've done Present. so much this week. I'm really proud of myself. Yeah. And I think it's really important that people do that. Because when you start doing that and appreciating how much you're, you are doing, it, it really does give you a big bolster and um, boost your confidence. And, and that's going to be positive for you. And I think as well, everyone's path is different and everyone takes different steps differently as well. And I think people need to realise that as well. Don't compare yourself against others. Just do what's best for you. Take the right steps. You know, even if they're small steps, it's still progress. You know, you don't have to take giant leaps. Just go at your pace and what's right for you as an individual. It's not about anyone else because you have to look after yourself, you know, first of all. And, you know, I see a lot of people go, you know, comparing themselves. And I'm like, everyone's got a different path in life. Everyone has a different profession they want to go into. Everyone will be at different stages of their life. And I think that's another thing as well. Very much so. I think, especially with social media, it's so easy to compare yourself to others. Mm. And yet you don't know where in their journey they are. If they've been running the business for 10 years and you're just starting out, then they're going to be at a different place. And if they haven't got a chronic condition and you have, then of course you're not going to be comparing like with like. And even if, even things like having a family, if they've got young kids and, or you have or whatever, everyone has their own unique journey so you mustn't compare yourself to other people because otherwise it's just always going to be a disappointment um just really sort of understand that you're doing the best that you can and my dad um, when I first started my business I was saying how much I had to do and I never thought I was ever going to get there and my dad said to me just take baby steps every yeah. single whenever you can just take a baby step forward it doesn't have to be a lot it's just one little thing and it's amazing how much those baby steps add up to something quite substantial and it's appreciating yeah. that, which is key. I mean, there's one famous saying, excuse me if I get this wrong, but it's along the lines of one small step leads to great things. And I think it just goes to show you, you don't have to do big steps to get to greater things. You can just do baby steps. And sometimes that process is actually quite important because by doing the baby steps, you actually learn more rather than jumping in the deep end. And then suddenly you're struggling with the whole type of IE workload or you know, your customers at your clients and things like that. So I completely agree with what your dad said. Baby steps are crucial for sure. Yeah, uh, definitely. I think I think that's it's something to remember when you're whatever you're doing, whether you're working, whether you're looking after your health or whether you're running a business, it's it's those baby steps, even just like managing the house and things like that, it's the baby steps that really count. Um yeah. and baby steps help your health as well. You, you don't want to be pushing yourself full on and using up all that precious energy um trying to jump before you can walk do you think there needs to be more talk in regards to chronic diseases and things like eds in the community in regards to being open and transparent more about our conditions in the workplace do you think it's talked yeah absolutely i don't think it's talked about enough at all um and that's something that i'm trying to change um i'm trying to work with organizations to raise awareness of conditions in the workplace mm. um and um i'm offering talks and um, workshops so that people can raise that awareness um, because I think often people like it's in teams as well so if if you feel that if somebody isn't is taking more breaks because they need to use the bathroom or they need to go and get food prepared and things like that 
then other people might not feel understanding of that. And yet, if we can raise awareness of these conditions and the fact that people have different needs, um, that can create understanding and that creates a more friendly workplace as well. Yeah. Um, and that, that's what we need. We need people to be understanding of these conditions. But first of all, there needs to be awareness. I know that before I got diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos, I'd never heard of it. Um, mm. And how can, and a lot of people, I think, are, are living with these conditions and don't realise that they're living with them until they hear somebody talking about it. And they go, oh, that, 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 those symptoms sound really familiar to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's funny because I, I remember like I was going through a lot of symptoms beforehand. I was having issues in relation to I was having a lot of time off work. I didn't have a diagnosis of EGS at the time. And I actually remember when I actually um, went to my first well, when I went to my rheumatologist and he shook my hand and he just looked at it, felt it. I felt it was a bit like a Mystic Meg situation. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, well, we're or something now. And he's like, oh you've got smooth velvety skin I know what you've got and I was just like how you know just you know the type of thing there um but no I totally get it I mean in my workplace I've always been very open and honest with what I've got um because as you can understand when you have certain breaks you know um people may query why you're going up and down it's human because people are going why is this person not at their desk so much you know that is the natural um, human um, instinct because people want to understand why. I've found in probably the last over, you know, 20 years I've been in type of specific areas, I found by being open and transparent, then people don't question. But I think people have a fear of it because a lot of people don't like to talk about it. And especially if it's things like gastro issues, you know, uh, urinary incontinence or issues like that, where they have, um, you know, um, catheters or stuff like that. Some people can be uncomfortable talking about that. But this is another thing why, you know, your type of, um, you know, things that you're doing now to help entrepreneurs with chronic illness is really crucial to talk about in the community because you're seeing it. You're going into these companies and you're getting that feedback which needs to be talked about to give you know people with disability more accessibility to work if that's in self and being self-employed if that's in a job and i think it's people like you that are really making a difference in these companies to make it more diverse as well and give that transparency yeah but the important thing is that if there are i think i think it's one in three people in england have or in the uk have at least one chronic condition mm-hmm. not necessarily a on disability but on chronic condition and that's that's a huge proportion of the population but that also means that one in three customers has these conditions as well so you need people in these organizations who understand what it's like to live with a chronic illness because then their products and services are going to be much better for those that need them as well to buy them so it's going to be a win-win for an organization to ensure that they're properly looking after employees with chronic illnesses and and making sure that they use their skills their knowledge their experience um, it costs so much money to retrain to, to replace mm. somebody who has left an organization plus you lose all of that experience all of that knowledge that they've gathered those years of working so it makes absolute sense to provide the right support to people no I mean I agree with you in that front I mean if you're going to train someone up through the whole process you need a trainer you need the particular system to train them up on and that is thousands of pounds you know while being <laughs> open and transparent can actually save thousands of pounds within these type of companies, you know, because if you understand their needs, as in, you know, your employer's needs or employee, 
then at the end of the day, then you can only actually make the company work more effectively because you're meeting those needs, even if that means changing a screen, you know, or putting a screen blinder on to reduce the type of light coming from the screen. You know, that could keep that person in that company for another five, six years because they've had the right adjustments. Yeah. And another example of mine is that um, um, in an office that I was working in, they, um, they weren't enough seats for everybody and we'd have like a weekly team meeting. Um, and whenever I went in there, someone would stand up and give me their seat without any, anything being said. It was just accepted that I needed a seat because of my pots. Um, and it's such a small thing, but every time it happens, it made my day that somebody yeah. had thought about me. And yet if I had had to stand there uh, for an hour, I, I might not have had the courage to ask for a seat because sometimes it is quite difficult in a, in a big room full of people to say, actually, I need that seat. Um, and, um, and then my health would have suffered for the rest of the day. I wouldn't have been productive. Um, I would have really struggled and I might have been ill the next day. So just small changes, small understanding. It's the culture that needs to really improve. And then people can have really successful careers and be an asset to a company. I think culture is important. So no matter where you work in, okay, the culture needs to be open and transparent, not toxic. I think when you have toxic cultures, it can create issues when it comes to things like chronic diseases, because there's no transparency or willingness to accept or learn. I think when the culture is very open and transparent, you see that in people. You see if they're happy, they're not stressed of where they work, they're happy to work there. And I think that's an important point. I think like you say, like culture, you know, when you have the pots and people gave you the chair because you were open and transparent about your condition. You know, I mean, like, for example, when I was having um, a bad day, I had, I don't know if you've seen these um, special desk chairs where they rock, okay? So because of my hip and knee surgery, they got me one of them. So basically I'll be rocking like this. And, you know, I ha they have a bit of humour in my work at, at that particular job. And they said to me, they're like, you're the Lone Ranger now. You know, and this is the humour that got us through. But, you know, they, they always like to joke about it. Or, you know, if I had an issue, they would go, right, go and take a 10-minute break. Yeah. Go and take 10 minutes. Give yourself a break your joints are flaring or, you know, go home. It's okay. You know, and I think that's the transparency, which is important in any job that you work in. If that's a civil service, if that's, you know, like in a general private company, you know, you need to have that transparency. And I think humor too really goes a long way um, because mm -hmm. then it shows people understand your condition, but, you know, they want to give it a bit of a humor side as well, you know? Yeah, that can, that can definitely help as well. I think it just stops it being such a, them in our situation and makes makes it feel like you're part of part of the of the culture of an organization and it can be really useful so now going back to your eds so um how are you coping with your eds right now yeah um i'm still trying to find um how, how to get it better i think um at the moment i've got a lot of problems with my hip and my back so um that's my my struggle at the moment but uh i think i, I find ways to cope with it so i use a lot of um, ways to try and calm my nervous system because I know that if I get too stressed um, or anxious or anything like that that it really does affect my 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 pain so yeah. um, I do a lot of work around trying to calm down my nervous system and that's something I'm really trying to focus on at the moment so um, using lots of breathing techniques and meditation and things like that have, have really helped me so uh, mm. I'm definitely improving but I do have bad days <laughs> I mean, that's um, to go into that with our research, but like I said, everyone has to go to their correct medical professionals because um, I can only give information only. But 
you know, one thing is, is, you know, relaxation techniques is a good thing for the body because it stops your um, certain micronutrients like zinc being depleted, which is a reason why it works because your micronutrients aren't being depleted by the stress. Um, so that's the reason why they do work. I mean, I get you from the point of view that we both live in the same area, not the same where, <laughs> you know, to keep it, you know, anonymous. Um, but I think we both can agree in our particular area, if you want things to be checked, there is a long waiting time, you know, in our particular local hospital. And that's not down to their fault. That's down to COVID, long, you know, waiting lists. We get that, you know. And I think then we turn to other things like you're doing, you know, like, the, you know, you're doing the type of relaxation techniques, the mindfulness aspects and things like this to try to, reduce some of the symptoms you know and i think you know we all turn to different things and each person is affected differently you know yeah very much and again it goes back to listening to what your body is telling you um and trying to really understand it so uh I, i'm starting to get to know now like when i'm getting a migraine i i'm i'm able to pick it up at the first symptom um and that's that's come through sort of really trying to listen to my body and seeing what what happens and and keeping track of things like energy levels so um Going back to, to working, um, I, I tracked my energy level to see when was the best time of day for me to be working on certain types of tasks. So when am I better having conversations? When am I better doing sort of deep work? And when am I, when is it better for me to rest? And sort of doing those sorts of things and understanding how I can better work has really made a big difference as well. I mean, like for me, I mean, I must admit working from home for me has been a major saving because, for example, where I would walk, um, so, you know, there's um, a few cinemas where we are. Um, yeah. So the sign world, I, I only say that, I'm not using location. <laughs> From the centre of our town, I'd walk very far up there. Oh, wow. Okay, so you can imagine. Fun. Okay, and then past that point, it was another 25-minute walk. Ish. So each way. So you can that imagine doing way. that every day is yeah. about an hour and 25 minutes each way. So you're talking about... I reckon about 10,000, 11,000 steps each way. And now that I'm working from home, it, you know, it has a major impact from that sense. And, you know, I think from my point, it works best for me and for the condition I've got and how it affects me. Um, but I do agree with you, it is about listening to your body. And that's why this particular job in the home base role suits me a lot better because I'm not putting, you know, a lot of the type of joint issues under a lot of strain I mean don't get me wrong I'm in a lot better position now than I am because of everything I've been doing but having to get up very early to do a type of long type of Mount Everest walk because as you know that area is quite hilly shall we call it <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like oh six o'clock in the morning I've got to do this <laughs> you know um yeah. because I don't drive you see so um from that point I can understand that it's about making those choices that's right for you everybody's different in that sense um I mean I like I said I'm in a better position now I'm not on any medications anymore I'm not in pain and that's good but from a walking perspective when you've had hip and knee surgery in the cold in winter it's not the best place to walk is it <laughs> I can imagine that must be very painful <laughs> yeah so um but going back to that so I just want to ask you a few questions what do you want to see more in the type of entrepreneurship as in businesses for people with EDS moving forwards where do you want the talks to be about 
Um, so for business owners, I want there just to be an understanding that you can often run a business when you have a chronic illness. And and I'd like there to be more support out there, actually, because of things like um, insurance, um, it's very difficult to get get certain types of insurance. So for business continuity insurance and things like that. So I'd love that to change so that people with chronic illness feel more supported. Um, and I'd absolutely love for there to be much more support in organisations going forward where people feel that they can talk about their chronic illness without it affecting them. Um, and as a result, they can then ask for the right support. What I feel sad about is people leaving organisations because of their health, um, because they're not getting the right support. And it's because there's not the culture there that they feel that they can talk about it or maybe they do talk about it and it's dismissed or not taken seriously. And I really, really want that to change. I really believe that people with chronic illness, if they're well enough, should have the right to be financially independent. Mm. Um, and that's that's my mission in life now is to try and support as many people as I can to have that financial independence. And 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 also, to, it's, it's so good to work. Um, it's great for your mental health. It creates a sense of community when you're working with other people, whether it's your own business when you've got customers or whether you're going into an office or even working from home, but have colleagues on the end of a phone. It's it's really is good to have that sort of connections and um, and to feel that you've achieved something as well. I think that's really good for your mental health. And if you can protect your mental health, then that also affects your physical health as well. So uh, I, I, I'm yeah really passionate about trying to help people um, to work when they have chronic illness. I think I totally agree with you from a culture point there should be no toxicity about it yeah. and I think in those that needs to be eradicated um, it's important because you know people um, sometimes you know have felt bullied in those situations when it comes to disability they feel like they're pushed out or things like that in specific areas or companies and I think the more transparency there is, like you say, Sarah, I think the more opportunities there are for people with disability. And I think, you know, a lot of people with disability and chronic disease or EDS, you know, they struggle to work currently and, you know, then they struggle to pay bills. And with the social, you know, the social economic climate right now, with all the price of the bills going up, you know, that's crucial for them. Any, any every penny counts, you know. And, you know, people can work if they're given the right opportunity or environment to work with the right balance with their health and the lifestyle and the actual work type of environment. But I think it's just finding currently until things improve the right type of company to support that. Exactly. And it should be a conversation um, between an employee and their managers around how can we make this work for you? How how, how can we as an organisation support you to work? Um, we know that there is a crisis at the moment with not there not being enough employee uh, people working in this country. Um, the government's been talking recently about trying to get people who are on long term sick and people over 50 back into work. But that's only going to work if the right support is there and the right conversations are being had. And that's where it needs to change. People with chronic illness can't always work the way that organisations want them to work. The, the nine till seven p.m. because everyone works overtime for free. Um, working evenings, expecting to do work at the weekend and sitting at your desk all that time, it's just not going to work. And so they need to have these conversations with people to say, how can we make this work for you? We know that you're going to be an asset to our company and we know we need to support you. And, and if they can support, then you're going to have a great employee there. So those are the conversations that need to be had. Yeah, definitely. And people do need to speak to their employee about it, like you say, by being open and transparent. And I always say a good employer will always listen. 
you know, a good employer will put you to occupational health or the right people for the right support or make the right adjustments in work as part of the Equality Act 2010. And I think that will be definitely, hopefully in time, there'll be more improvements and there'll be more accessibility for people. Like you say, the workforce right now in the UK, you know, they are depleted, shall we say? <laughs> um, and I think with the right help, people can, and the right balance with their health, they can be given opportunities, you know, with the right support. So the final question I have for you is this, and this is a big one. I always ask everyone it on all the podcasts, right? <laughs> so what's your hope for people in the, as you have EGS, what's your hope for people in the EGS community and where do you think improvements are needed in the EGS community from your perspective? I think there needs to be more awareness of what, what it is, of what Ellis Danos is, um, so that um, doctors um, and um, people in the street understand what you're going through and that it's not just hypermobility, it affects every part of your body in so many different ways. So awareness is definitely important. I, I had to go to um, A&E recently and the A&E doctor didn't know what it was. Um, and that really isn't acceptable in this day and age. <laughs> um, uh, so that's one thing I'd like to change. Um, and then um, I, I, I love the work that you and Danny are doing, Fiona, around trying to understand exactly what is causing Elizanos and how we can improve it. So I think so much more money needs to be put into the um, understanding, into research um, to really understand what, what is causing it and how it can be improved. Because at the moment, it just doesn't seem to be solutions. I I went, um, not in this area, but I went in another area to see a physiotherapist because my rheumatologist had suggested I see a physiotherapist to try and protect my muscles. And they wouldn't help me because I was, my muscles at that point, my joints at that point weren't too bad. And they said that I was, I was too, I was coping too well that they couldn't help me. And yet if I had done that work at that time with the right supports, then maybe I wouldn't be having the problems that I'm having now. So trying to make sure that research is done and that um, there are steps put in place to support people going forward um, so they can protect their joints as much as possible has got to be key and i can actually tell you i went to the same a and e and they didn't know what it was <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> need to go there and talk them out <laughs> oh, honestly um that's just i <laughs> went into a lot of medical terminology and the next thing he said is are you a doctor and i'm like no <laughs> you know so we both have that correlation and um thank you in regards to about me and danny's research i think from a research point, well, one, first, there just need to be a bit more, a lot more knowledge when it comes to people understanding what EGS does and its function. I think it's important to capture a root cause at, this, at the point of the root cause or to find the root cause. So, for example, you know, like how you said about the physio and then you said about how you may not be in the position you are now. From that point, you know, that's what I mean about dealing with the root cause at the right time, because if you get it sorted at that point it won't lead to multiple other effects leading on to it at a later date um when it comes to research for me i think they need to look at things like nutrition um and the basics as in understanding each individual's environment because it all has a factor to play um so from my point you know do we get asked any questions about our diet and environment not really you know mm. and i think you know if somebody for example like is in a workplace where they're under severe stress or they have family issues with severe stress or they live in a mouldy house or things like this you know because that's been making the news quite big right now about mouldy houses you know there's these type of basic questions that need to be asked um so i think you know 
root causes need to be looked at first before jumping to the top of the tree, right? You know, but looking at the root issue. I think I've explained this to a few people. Um, I've said, you know, when you look at a wilting flower, are you going to look at why? Are you going to look at the roots? You know, is there any type of nutrition issue or environment issue in the soil? Is there any environmental issue around it? You know, as in the air or things sitting around it? You know, to understand what's happening. Um, but I will say from our local hospital point, there just needs to be an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> I think we both can agree there because I think if we're both saying in the same A&E that we went to, they didn't know what it is, that clearly goes to show, you know, there needs to be a better understanding of the condition. There needs to be more of a specialism in the condition. Um, I know one particular person waited, um, I think it was two, no, a year and a half to two years for neurology. Yeah, I can believe that. And if you're in a workplace function and you're having a neurology issue, don't get me wrong, I know under pressure due to COVID, I'll put that out there, they are trying their best. We know that. Um, but when you're in something like a work position, you understand this and you're sitting at a desk job and you've got a nerve issue and you have to wait a year and a half. And this is another thing. Some people are now go in private and pay in for things because to try to get a quicker diagnosis because they're worried about their financial habits or issues like that, which then has another factor, you know? Very much so. And I think I think that's the, the tricky part is when you're waiting for diagnosis, the support just isn't there. Um, and I think particularly when you are working and you're waiting for diagnosis, that um, unknown is really tricky because an employer finds it very difficult to understand and sympathize or empathize when when they don't actually know what's wrong with you and I think I think that's the most frustrating part I think once you get a diagnosis it's a little bit easier um, mm. because it's easier to have those conversations but I really feel for people who are waiting for diagnosis at the moment and have such long, long waiting lists because it is torturous trying to to manage a job and and live with that it is and especially if you're taking a lot of sickness as well there's that added pressure because you can't explain it if that makes sense yeah. And when you're waiting for that diagnosis, it's creating more stress because you're taking more time off work, which you can't explain because there's no diagnosis, but you still have to wait, you know, like up to a year and a half for an appointment, you know, which could be the difference between your job and your, you know, livelihood type of thing. So there definitely needs to be better pathways. I agree with you then on that point and support as well, I think is another one. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I think having somebody to talk to um, during that process would be really useful as well. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people within the EGS community. And that's one thing they come back to me, the support and having someone to talk to, because they feel that there's not enough support out there, which is why they turn to social media. Like that's how we met on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> you know but um you know people turn to social media for that support because they're not getting the answers as well you know yeah yeah and I think I think it'd be useful to have be able to see people in, in real life as well to have these conversations um I think it definitely makes it more real when you are talking to people I mean social media is brilliant and I'm, I'm so grateful for it for opening up these sorts of doors and having being able to meet people with these conditions but it would be nice to have local support as well hmm. I think local support is crucial. I mean, I know some charities do do it, but again, a lot of them are under pressure. But again, it's finding that local support or having someone to talk to, especially if you're alone and you're dealing with it, it's even harder, you know. 
and this is why there's these type of groups now and forums and social media points because they need that support you know and i think if you give people the right support then that helps them along the way as well and it creates less stress and i think that's important because if they know they've got the support from someone who's been through it or who understands their journey like you do as in the companies with other people chronic diseases it goes a long way you know it really does yeah i think i think knowing that you're not alone is probably one of the best the most important things because it's just scary it's so scary when you don't know what's going on or when you've first been diagnosed because you just don't know what it's going to lead to so knowing people who are just that one or two steps ahead of you can make a huge difference Mm. well i just wanted to say thank you ever so much for your time today sarah it's really nice to know i've got someone in the same town as me yeah, me too. <laughs> I only found it out by social media and um, but you know I just wanted to say you're doing an amazing job for you know people with chronic illnesses in the community you should be really proud of that you know you're putting it out there you're trying to get the transparency and the culture change and that will be a big improvement for people living with chronic illnesses so you know a big thank you for doing that and oh, thank you what I will do is I'll put all the links to your pages for your mentorships and your Instagram and all your other links that you can provide me. And then, um, you know, people can go and check you out too. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Fiona, for inviting me on your podcast. No, you're more than welcome, Sarah. But for all of our listeners out there, please, just a reminder, our podcast is for information only. And please go to your um, medical um, registered medical professional for the correct medical advice. So, Thank you very much, Sarah. And I'm, you know, you're more than welcome to DM me at any point, message me at any point if you, you know, want to chat or different queries, or if you want to go out for a cup of tea, that's absolutely fine too. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely do that. (laughs) Um, So thank you very much, everyone. And thank you very much for joining the episode. Bye. Bye.